0: Welcome to Salty Talks, a podcast about sustainable aquaculture in Maine. I'm your host, Corinne Newfie, the communication specialist with the Aquaculture Research Institute. And today I am joined by Laura Ricard at the University of Maine. And we're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects, public perceptions of aquaculture. So, Laura, will you introduce yourself? Let us know who you are, your background, and how you became interested in using aquaculture to study concepts such as social acceptability and sense of place and whatnot.
1: Sure. So my background is actually in environmental studies to start off with, and I would say that's the first time I ever encountered anything about aquaculture. But it was probably the lecture here or there on some of the risks we needed to think about, um, whether those were environmental or human health risks in consuming fish. But honestly, aquaculture was not a big part of my life or my research for quite a long time. Um, I did my master's and my PhD in communication at Cornell University and I became really interested in risk and how we talk about it and how people perceive it and broadly speaking, how that might lead people to seek information, to act in particular ways to make certain decisions over others. And for a long time, I studied a variety of environmental issues, everything from how people behave in national parks to you know, what happens when there are severe storms and you want people to you know, shelter in place or not shelter in place. How do you get them to sort of enact behaviors um, but then, I guess I would say in, in 2015, I was working at the time um, at SUNY College of Environmental Science and Forestry, but I saw this very interesting uh, job posting for a position at UMaine, and UMaine at the time had just received a very large amount of funding from the National Science Foundation to study sustainable um ecological aquaculture development in the state. And they were looking to hire someone to join their interdisciplinary team of researchers. And in particular, they wanted someone who studied risk communication, which is sort of my bread and butter. And you don't often see risk communication jobs period. But <laughs> um, but the fact that they were looking for someone to do this in the context of aquaculture, I mean, honestly, my immediate thought was, I don't know much about aquaculture. Am I out of the running for this position? But it fascinated me and I couldn't put it down because I have always loved Maine. First of all, I didn't grow up here, but I grew up going to summer camp here and sort of hiking and being in the outdoors here. And I thought, What a wonderful place to raise my family. Maybe I could do (laughs) some aquaculture research. And honestly, I came here and and the rest is history. I've, I've just found that this is the most interesting and sort of ideal topic context for understanding these really intricate development issues um, in the context of a changing climate. You've got food security, justice, governance, perceived risk, you know, individual level decision making, societal level decision making. You've got it all. And I didn't think my work would go this way, but I'm really pleased um, that it has.
0: Thank you. Um, Yeah, I've never, I don't think ever seen a job posting that was asking for risk what did you say risk risk communication communication yeah Yeah. um which is super cool and we were talking the other day about work that you're doing in washington with uh being in the parks and people getting injured in the parks and i think i said something like why would anyone blame getting injured on the parks like i don't i don't get that i i definitely would blame it on myself and Laura immediately had all of these things to say about reasons why and it was just things I would never think about. So I think it's really cool to then put that into context uh, in aquaculture. I think I want to start off broad here and talk a bit about your research focusing on public perceptions of aquaculture and why that's important for just overall ensuring social acceptability
1: sure i think we can think about this on a a few different levels and i guess starting off with an individual level so if we think of obviously ourselves as as individual units which is a little bit contrived because we know that we all live in societies and we have connections with others so we're never really making decisions in you know isolation but let's for the sake of argument, think of ourselves as individuals. Um, how we think about a topic like aquaculture can really influence what we might call our kind of downstream perceptions, no pun intended, <laughs> um, but our judgments, <laughs> our decision making. Um, so if I view aquaculture as really beneficial, you know, something that can alleviate hunger or can you know, provide a healthy, low-cost protein source. Um, That might be then obviously something that influences me when I go to the polls later and have to think about which candidate I'm voting for and maybe if they're talking about um, policy decisions related to aquaculture in our towns. Um, So we know that individual level, um, you know, perceptions matter for things like um, decision-making. However, um, Social acceptability is, as I say, it's not just an individual level thing. We have to think about it at community levels, even society levels. So at a community level, perhaps we can think about it in the aggregate. So, you know, does the majority of the people living in a particular location think that aquaculture is a good thing for them? Um, But also, here's where you bring in a whole bunch of other factors that really get us out of just the individual brain. So do we trust Uh, the people that are coming in to operate um, aquaculture in our community? Is it a multinational corporation? And maybe we're not trusting of them because they're, as we like to say in Maine, they're from away. Does that matter to us? Um, So, you know, things like trust, things like, um, do we have any experience as a community with this kind of technology in the past? Like, are we going to compare aquaculture to our community's um, focus on sustainable farming, land-based farming? Or do we think about aquaculture as competition for, you know, wild catch fisheries? Um, These are things we might have opinions about on an individual level, but again, we have to think about them collectively because as a community, as a town, as whatever, we have an identity as well. And that really matters for you know, how a place comes to make decisions about aquaculture.
0: That sounds like there is a lot of information gathering that then has to happen, which I would say occurs at an individual level and then Kind of makes its way up to a community level so in your experience uh, conducting surveys and carrying out the work that you've done what have you found to be key factors that i guess motivate or influence people to seek out information on aquaculture to understand all these different factors that you were just talking about
1: yeah it's a good it's a good question because we we honestly often don't think of actively going out and looking for information. A lot of times the way we get information on top is topics, especially if they're topics we're not necessarily very, very interested in, is that we just come across it rather passively. So we may be turning the dial on the radio, we may you know, stumble across a podcast that somebody emails us a link for and says, hey, this is really cool. Um, but my colleagues and I have been really interested in this sort of active information seeking. Like when is it that people go out and say, I want to learn more about aquaculture. And that's important because that sort of active information seeking can be really predictive of things like support for policy or, you know, going out there and really being invested in this issue. So in our work, um, in some survey work that we did in 2018, specifically with Maine residents, um, what we found was um, believing the topic of aquaculture to be highly salient. In other words, this is an important issue to me. Um, I think, you know, aquaculture is something that, is important to Maine in general. If people thought that, then they were much more likely to look for information. And that sort of makes sense on its face. Um, Something important to us, we wanna look for more information. But the thing that I think is really important, and again, might not be a great leap, it sort of makes sense on its face, is the gap between what we think we know about the topic of aquaculture and where we think we want to be. So in other words, I could tell you, and this is how we ask people um, on the survey, we say, you know, think of a scale of zero to 100. Um, What do you currently know about aquaculture? Are you at a 20, are you a 10, are you an 85? Um, But then where do you want to be? So maybe I'm a 10, but I want to be a 95. And what we mean by that want to be is, where will you be where you feel confident that you can make decisions about aquaculture, that you understand its impact, that you could say, Yes, I think this policy of, you know, putting more finfish fish aquaculture in Frenchman Bay makes sense for our community. And we found that most people um, want to know more. So I think it was like, um, you know, in, a, in a, another survey, it was like 80% of people want to know more. And that gap, we call that information insufficiency, so the gap between where we are now and where we want to be, that really motivates um, information-seeking, and it's an it's an important thing for us to, to think about. Do you think that motivation-seeking
0: of where people want to be is regionally dependent or depends on what's going on. Like, for example, people living in Belfast where a RAS facility was gonna be placed versus people who maybe live like, I don't know, I've only lived in Maine for nine months, <laughs> somewhere somewhere very far away in the West. Yeah, heuristic <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> something. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely personal relevance is so important. And I do think um, these things vary regionally. One thing that was surprising to us in this work, um, in our in our main survey work, was that we didn't necessarily find that people were being influenced by what's called informational subjective norms. And that's just a fancy way of saying, um, do you have people that are important to you in your life? It could be your mom, your partner, whoever, your kids. Do those people think that you should know about a particular topic, in this case, aquaculture? So if you live in Belfast, do your, next door neighbors think that you should know about what's going on with the land-based RAS facility. Um, usually that's really uh, motivational for people. Like if they feel this pressure to know about something, then they will go and seek that information. We did not find that, um, in our most recent survey data, but hmm. that was 2018. And I think, I don't know for sure, but my my sense is that that's changing a lot and that there is much more pressure building, normative pressure, especially regionally, like you said. We've got all these little communities that have been dealing on a micro scale with this much bigger aquaculture development issue, so whether it's Belfast with RAS or whether it's Frenchman Bay with the um, closed net pen proposal, so I think um, when we look at the state as a whole, maybe that relationship isn't there. But you know, that's where it becomes so important to get on the ground and ask people. Don't just survey them, you know, interview them, figure out what's what's really going on. Um, so that mix of methods can be helpful.
0: Yeah, that is actually quite surprising to me that you you found there's not that sort of pressure because anecdotally like me just being so immersed in aquaculture I will tell my parents about it I'll tell my friends my family about it and um from that then I can see that they are like motivated and seeking out wanting to learn more about aquaculture and are you know I'm constantly getting questions or like Information updates from them about their um, knowledge, which is fun to see. But yeah, I guess a little surprised to hear those
1: results. Yeah, I wonder too, that makes me think sometimes it's just that really initial lack of familiarity. And we found this a lot in our work, both at the national scale and in Maine. And again, I think that's changing because the familiarity as the years go by and as these proposals pop up all over the state, um, you know, that familiarity will go up. But if you don't know never heard of it before you just may not have that initial push but as soon as you know your friend asks you about it it's like oh maybe that is something that's relevant to me and I should look into that some more
0: yeah like getting over that initial learning barrier Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so I know that
0: you've also examined the awareness of aquaculture among Maine and um was it Massachusetts Mm -hmm. residents? And the content that's in newspapers and that uh, we're seeing in media. So do you think that the information from newspapers or I guess like any form of media uh, can influence the way in which people think about aquaculture, like in terms of, for those that aren't even remotely familiar with it to begin with, like does seeing The way that news presents aquaculture make people think um, of you know perceived like environmental risks or economic benefits or does that sort of set their their mind shape mind frame mind frame
1: yeah yeah it's an important question and I think it's one that deserves taking a step back and and making sure we clarify what what media can and can't do Um, so Media in general, especially we're talking here, at least this, this, um, research was looking at legacy newspapers. So in particular, um, Portland Press Herald, which is out of Portland, Maine, Bangor Daily News, um, out of Bangor and the Boston Globe. And what news media can do is they can sort of provide or, um, Set an agenda. That's the way we might call it. Um, we tend to call it media and communication scholars. So they can sort of suggest to us as readers um, what is important, you know, what um, rises to the top amid all of the stuff that's going on in the world at any point in time. Um, what newspapers can't directly do is to tell us what to think. So they can tell us what to think about. So they can say, you know, um, we're going to have 15 articles on aquaculture between now and next Friday. And so just that sheer volume that suggests to you reader, um, that this is an important topic you should pay attention to. However, newspapers cannot sort of as a, you know, silver bullet, tell me, Laura, you should now think that aquaculture is really important and you should support this new venture in your community. So they're not telling me what opinion to have. Um, There's not this really direct, um, again, silver bullet, like I'm gonna change your opinion. But the more we're exposed, and the more we're suggested that this is important, um, you know, that that can have an effect. So it's sort of indirect. Um, But also, and you mentioned this a little bit in the way you're asking the question, the framing matters. And that's what, you know, we looked at quite a bit um, with aquaculture coverage in those three uh, newspapers that I mentioned. So when the Bangor Daily News, for instance, reports on aquaculture, is it reporting on aquaculture such that we see benefits of aquaculture more frequently than we see risks reported on? Framing's not the same as spin, so we're not saying, oh, are they, you know, making stuff up about the risks or inflating the benefits? No, it's anytime you present information, you can, you know, focus on one thing rather than others. You can talk about um, you know, aquaculture as fish farming. You can talk about it as factory fish farming. Those word choices matter.
0: Um, Do you think you've seen a shift in terms of how news articles regarding aquaculture have been presented since you've been doing this work? Because I feel like even within the last, I don't know, like five years or since I've really been focused on aquaculture, I've definitely seen a shift. And I don't know if that's me moving from Washington to Maine or just as time progresses and more people are getting on board with aquaculture.
1: Yeah, I think there is a shift. I think, um, well, our analysis, has mostly stopped around 2015 so i have to put this caveat in there that um probably the most recent reporting um i have a sense of but um i don't have you know data to look at but my sense is you know if we look back to like the year 2000 Um, and really up until probably like 2010, a lot of the reporting focused on that risk frame, environmental risk in particular, not as much human health risk. But I would say, what I can say is since 2010 to 2015, at least, there's been a lot more focus on environmental benefits Especially talking about aquaculture as, you know, a restorative practice, talking about shellfish aquaculture, talking about, you know, kelp and the emergence of seaweed, especially in Maine. Um, So we didn't see any of that at all, which makes a little bit of sense because that is a newer um, Mm -hmm. kind of uh, emergence here people
0: they're getting their news from like we're mentioning portland press herald bangor bangor daily news and this might have some sort of influence on people's risk perceptions Um, but what about or i guess do you think that more people's risk perceptions are coming from news outlets or other like direct experiences so i'm talking about direct experiences with people that work in aquaculture or work in wild capture fisheries or something like that or from Maybe this is a two part question, but or from like extrapolating what we know about agriculture and terrestrial farms and then trying to apply that to aquaculture.
1: Yes, to all of that. (laughs) I mean, and this is why it's so hard, but also I think really fun to study this area, because from what we can tell, um, it's a little bit of of all of those things you mentioned. So, yes, um, we are going to you know, look at how aquaculture is covered in the news. And that's probably going to, in some way, contribute to how we understand it, how we perceive risk associated with it. But we know too that, yeah, having those direct experiences, like going to a farmer's market in Portland and seeing a mussel farmer. um, We had someone in a focus group actually mention that very example, you know, in Portland. She said, I know this person and they have a farm like down the road from me. That is very important. To developing perceptions. Um, So we have mediated experiences on the one hand, um, which would be, you know, the reading about it in the news, the direct experiences, which might be, you know, actually talking to um, a muscle farmer. Um, We also have how people, as you suggested, extrapolate from other things in their life that they might see as somehow similar and so in particular terrestrial agriculture and wild capture fisheries and so we saw and this has been documented not just by me at all like other other folks too um this is a really sort of familiar and easy I guess analogy to make so and and it can go both ways in terms of whether it's having people support aquaculture or not so they can say oh it's like a small family farm on the water. Like that's, what a nice muscle farm. <laughs> Those are some nice friendly farmers, right? That might be good. Um, alternatively, um, we've had heard people say in focus groups, things like, oh, you know what they do with farming? They select for, you know, the biggest chicken, and then you have Rhode Island Reds are the only chickens that are bred, and then we lose diversity. They're gonna do the same thing in salmon farms. And so that's a negative thing. So you're using a farming metaphor, um, and it's it could go either way. Um, same thing with fisheries. It could be, um, oh, aquaculture is this great complement to our fishing heritage in Maine, or aquaculture is this, competition you know it's competing with our you know fishermen who are still out there trying to make a living um i've i've seen both so it's it's really complex and really um hard to tease out the one last thing i would say is a lot of times what comes to this dialogue too is ideas of naturalness so is aquaculture natural and that often plays into that agriculture terrestrial agriculture comparison agriculture by definition is not natural but people (laughs) you know it's like selecting for particular uh traits but people will often you know see it as such um so that's a very fraught um kind of comparison too yeah
0: um i'm so i'm looking at my my outline here and i think i want to skip ahead a little bit because this is making me think of um a lot of similar things that I heard when I was looking at public perceptions of finfish aquaculture in grad school and um like I think strategic messaging is a huge influence here and uh how I don't know how people are thinking about like what these farms look like like for example I think not a lot of people can picture what a oyster farm or a fish farm or something looks like and so that's that like jump to terrestrial agriculture where we're thinking maybe like a bunch of chickens all cooped up together and um which then translates to yeah maybe the not not the most like positive image so in in your experience what sort of messaging do you think is the most effective in getting people to really understand aquaculture and not even saying like get on board and like aquaculture but just like being the most effective I want to say in my opinion like visual appearance and like Mm. personal anecdotal stories maybe yeah
1: yeah I mean your 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 sense is correct (laughs) um I mean the the first thing I would say is often there's not time or funding for this but pre-testing of any kind of strategic messaging strategy is critical. And I think, you know, what often happens is, you know, organizations or universities or whoever it is that want to take part in this kind of messaging, they have the best intentions. And so not trying to, you know, throw them under the bus here by any means, but, um, you know, doing something like rolling out a campaign where you want to talk about aquaculture and hopefully down the road change attitudes and possibly behaviors, I mean, that is, that is a strategy that needs to be planned and ideally pre-tested, you know, bring in some folks, think about um, how do you want to to frame this message? Who are, um, you know, who are your target audiences? Things like that. So that's just a, you know, a comment up front. is that often we have a limited budget. And so we think, okay, let's just put it all into making these beautiful, you know, YouTube videos or, you know, pamphlets or whatever it is. But if we took a little bit of that and did some planning beforehand or evaluation afterwards too, um, just, I think that would go a long way. Um, But in terms of, you know, what works in messaging, um, I mean, I think sort of drawing on a variety of different studies we've done and what we've seen in the literature. I mean, personal relevance is key. Um, so again, just making um, making things seem like you should care <laughs> um, can go a long way. And this sounds like a no brainer, but for something like aquaculture, if you don't live in a place where it's very obvious, um, you know why? Why should you care about it? Um, and so maybe this is a lower bar in places like Maine, but even like we were joking earlier, Arista County. I mean, I don't know. That might not be top of mind um, for some of those residents. So how can you make this topic interesting and relevant um, to folks you might talk to? Um, the other thing we've we've played a lot around a lot with is telling stories. Um, again this this may come as sort of a no-brainer but there's actually some really interesting um, you know media psychology work around what does it take to become invested in a story such that you are what's called transported Um, so in this case transportation meaning it's like the feeling when you're so in a story that you're outside of yourself, right? You're in that narrative world and you're so invested in what's gonna happen that you you might even momentarily forget that you're sitting in a room in Bangor, Maine, all of a sudden you're, you know, wherever the, the storyteller is. Um, and it turns out that that feeling, if you can evoke it, which sometimes it's hard, but if you can evoke that, people can, um, you know, you're much more likely to change people's attitudes. You're much more likely to affect their um, emotions, positive and negative, um, and then those subsequently subsequently can then change behaviors down the road.
0: I mean, to your point, like I remember people caring a lot less about like s- facts being like thrown in their face about, you know, hey, this is I don't know, like scientific facts, and more so about stories and being invested and like something I remember is that a lot of people seem to be really interested in trust from the actual farmers and the people that were growing the food that they were going to be consuming and hearing from them and hearing their stories was so much more important than like a graph that shows you know i don't even know like feed conversion ratios or something like that like Mm -hmm. that's fine but that's not really like what they were interested in and also like at Main Aquaculture Association, they have these really great videos that are um, stories of farmers out on the water and really you're you're personally invested in them and it sort of, um, yeah, transports you for a second and like brings more of a, a personal
1: meaning to aquaculture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think we have a lot of evidence now to suggest that the "Quote unquote objective knowledge," so like the facts, um, like feed conversion ratio, um, they don't really contribute that much to people's actual um, attitudes toward aquaculture. Almost, almost not at all. Um, and I think that's hard for some folks to swallow because there's a really long-standing assumption that you know, is sort of this deficit model type approach. In other words, um, we've got these folks out there, they don't know anything about aquaculture. We just gotta like crack their heads open, like fill them up with some facts um, and then they'll be good to go. And obviously that's very simplistic and I don't think anyone really believes that, but we sometimes fall back on that operating assumption um, and turns out, yeah, it's it's not that at all.
0: Yeah, and, and I also think that you were saying this about like making things relevant to whatever whoever your audience is joking about a rustic a is that how we say it a rustic a rustic <laughs> forgive me i've only been here since september um <laughs> but like making it relevant and getting people to care beyond just like i don't know for example belfast like where a facility is being placed um like i'm thinking about i grew up in colorado for the first 18 years of my life and aquaculture is like not super relevant there obviously but making that relevant like if that means hey like I can get cheaper salmon at the grocery store instead of having to you know have wild caught salmon flown in from Alaska or Washington which is great don't get me wrong great salmon but you know I'm gonna be paying more for that so if that's how it's relevant then great or if it's Mm -hmm. like creating jobs or, you know, talking about environmental sustainability, depending on people's like place based values. I think that's super important to acknowledge as well.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. And the perceived benefits thing, um, that's been a really important um, factor in all this work we've done. That seems to really resonate with people rather than, you know, talking about, Oh, there's minimal risks like let's talk about the benefits and um, as you suggest it it may be focusing on different things for different people but you know whether it's the economic the jobs um, you know or reducing the price of um, protein yeah that's been exceedingly important
0: Looking at the the time here, I wanna ask um, just a few more questions. One, do you have any more fun studies or papers coming down the pipeline?
1: Yeah, so one that I'm pretty excited about, it's, um, and we just wrapped it up, but we're hoping to, to get it published soon, has to do with, What I'm sure people in this area, at least, have been paying attention to with the development of land-based RAS in Belfast, but also in Bucksport, and we look at um, a facility in California, Northern California as well, and in this study, we interviewed people, so we interviewed over 70 people actually, so Everyone from you know people who live in these communities to people who are associated with the corporations that are trying to site these facilities to you know local lawmakers and so on. And what we wanted to get at in particular is conceptions of justice. So how does justice relate to how people were thinking about these um, these facilities? You know. Um, and the thing with justice is it has many dimensions. You know, as social scientists, we like to <laughs> we like to really pull things apart as much as we can. I don't know. Maybe you think that's only a biologist or something, but social scientists are really good at it. So justice, um, you know, we can divide it into things like interpersonal justice, you know, how are we treated? Um, It could be procedural justice. Um, How are the procedures like a public meeting drawn out? Um, So there are different dimensions of justice and what we were trying to look at is um, how do people think these various dimensions are being met or being violated um, with respect to um, these sightings of these RAS facilities. And what we found was pretty interesting um, you know, we look at Belfast, for instance, where we know that there's been quite a bit of controversy and, and some pretty loud voices opposing it. And we see there the lowest, um, how we measured it, the lowest social license to operate. So, in other words, the highest opposition um, to the project. And we also see some pretty clear perceived violations of justice. And I think... I'm hoping this kind of study is useful, not just, you know, for our academic-y types, but also to suggest, hey, here are the ways that folks we talked to thought that, you know, they they felt that there were these clear violations of what should be expected. You know, maybe they, for instance, felt they were included in the process too late, or that there were some interpersonal Dimensions. They weren't being treated fairly. Um, So hopefully, this has not just theoretical but real practical implications.
0: Yeah, that sounds super interesting, and that sounds like it could be a whole podcast episode on its own, which we just might have to do. And so, my last question for you: I'm curious, since you mentioned at the very beginning that um, you know your background is not in aquaculture, and you started sort of came into aquaculture through, um, through this job at, at UMaine. So have you noticed within yourself how your perceptions of aquaculture have changed since starting this job up until now?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think I have continued to be skeptical, but skeptical in a positive way. I mean, I think we think of skeptical and, oh, you know, that's a, that's a negative thing. Um, I think I, am continually learning about aquaculture, and it is fascinating. And I think there's so much promise and there's so many types I didn't know about. And, you know, I I think um, I had a very, sort of narrow conception of aquaculture equals salmon in net pens in the ocean um, before taking this job. And now it's like, that is one teeny tiny little sliver of it. And so I try to, in fact, reflect on that quite a bit because I think probably most folks that I'm studying also have that conception. And so trying to think about how do we get from, you know, maybe a more I don't know, impoverished (laughs) version of what aquaculture is to trying to, you know, sort of expand it for folks would be, I think, um, a great way to maybe change attitudes and perceptions.
0: Yeah, and I I don't think skeptical is a bad bad place to be at. I think that means, like, open to information and learning and also not just taking in every single thing as it comes at, at face value without critically thinking about it.
1: That sounds better, I like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not a bad thing. (laughs) Great, Uh, is there any last minute things you just have have to get out there?
1: I don't think so, thanks for having me.
0: Amazing, yeah, thank you for taking time to record today.